Hello, fellow sleuths. I'm Kathy. And I'm Michael. You are listening to A Southern Sleuth. Listeners, this episode is part two of the Heather Turner case, and it is our longest episode so far. We released part one June 27th, and if you have not listened to part one, we strongly suggest that you do so before listening to this one. It has been our most listened to case so far. That is thanks to you guys. You share the episode, and it has reached so many people. The purpose of this part two is to give some more insight into who Heather was and what her relationship with Andy Turner was like based on recollections from friends and family. I think it will help others to understand why Heather's loved ones do not think she could have shot herself. I wish I could say that I had a big update and that the case was moving forward. I hope I will be able to give that update soon. I usually only report on facts that I gather from police reports and credible news sources. When something's an opinion or speculation, I am up front. I will tell you right now that most of this podcast will be just relaying information I have been given. The information has been given to investigators by the same people that gave it to me. I do not have access to the investigative reports and witness statements, but I have received many details from people, some that I have contacted and some that have reached out to me, some that had no problem going on the record and some that requested anonymity. Again, this is the information that was reported to me. I'm not saying that it's all factual and I have no way to verify each statement. I do believe the statements, but I'm not here to tell you what to believe. I'm just a person that has an interest in criminal cases, especially cases that have not been solved or prosecuted. This information came from written interviews as well as phone conversations. As with any interview, I am just asking the questions. When I started researching Heather's death, I had no idea who Heather was. And I'm sure I've still barely scratched the surface. But with this part two, I wanted to try to get a sense of Heather as a person. The people that knew and loved her were so willing to share their memories. I spoke to a childhood friend of Heather's named Tracy Abernathy Giles. She met Heather when Heather was five years old. They were neighbors and became best friends. She said Heather was not shy, even at five and that she was always beautiful. Tracy shared fond memories of hanging out with Heather pretty much every day until high school. They always remained friends, but just weren't as close in those years, which is pretty common. She said when Andy came into the picture, he made sure everyone else was shut out, even family. She considers the last years of Heather's life as stolen by Andy and she believes he ultimately ended her life for good. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to say I agree, or at least it 
every all the evidence that I've seen has kind of put my opinion in that agreeing with that it's kind of hard when you see it all you know little different pieces of evidence uh, you might be able to find holes in but when you hear it all together uh, it just doesn't give you a good feeling about the guys for sure well there is one person in part one that listeners were the most curious about and that is the nanny, Christy. I reached out to Christy and I received a very reserved response. She said she has put her relationship with Andy Turner behind her. While she is fully cooperating with the investigation into Heather's death, she does not want to be involved in this podcast. She does want to make it clear that she did not meet Andy Turner until after Heather's death. She has moved past the trauma of their relationship and is doing well. But I do have some information about Christy's relationship with Andy that was reported to me by a source on the promise of anonymity and then confirmed by Joni Miller. You heard me speak of Joni in part one. Joni was very close to Heather, and I will have stories from her later in this episode. So, back to that information I was given about Christy. Christy was introduced to Andy by her cousin. Christy was an aspiring actress, and Andy portrayed himself as someone that could help people break into show business. And it appears Christy was not the first young nanny. There was one before her, one that allegedly told Christy she had been pregnant with Andy's baby and that Andy took her to have an abortion approximately two months after Heather's death. I was told Christy had seen pictures of this other young lady and Andy together, but he said they were just friends. Now, I do have this young lady's name because many people mention it to me, but I will not be giving it out. She was contacted by investigators but would not give an interview and I really hope she will speak with them soon because I feel she has important information. I also spoke to another person close to Heather that would like to remain anonymous due to concerns for their safety. We will call this person Jane for the sake of clarity. Jane told me that three positive pregnancy tests were found in Andy's and Heather's house just after Heather's death. Mm. The Georgia Bureau of Investigation told several people that inquired about this that Heather was not pregnant and had not recently been pregnant. So we're left to wonder who the tests belonged to. Maybe they were old. I'm not sure how long they will last and be readable as I have never kept one. But Jane said they did not look to be very old at all. Yeah, I mean, and three at one time. You know, like you might say, a sentimental one or, but. It made me think about the other girl who said that she had been pregnant with his baby. I wonder Yeah. if they were maybe from her. Right. Probably so. Jane also said that all of Lexi's things had been packed up prior to Heather's death. Lexi is Andy's and Heather's child. 
So that to me shows that Heather was serious about leaving Andy and was taking Lexi with her. Jane also said that Andy was very tearful after Heather's death and cried a lot to others, which seems normal. But you know, he preached Heather's funeral and Jane said he did not shed one tear. He was crying but cut it off when he got up to speak. It's Jane's opinion that Heather did not shoot herself. The one thing that Jane told me that caused my jaw to drop was something that Heather told those close to her in the days just before her death. She reportedly came home unexpectedly one day and found Andy on her laptop computer. He was researching ways to commit suicide. Mm, that's interesting. That's not your average Google search. And why was he using her laptop? Right. Like he was trying to go ahead and Set stage the up. scene. Yep. That, that, that's another one of those little... Uh, pieces that <clears throat> build up a circumstantial case um, but I know there's more to it than than that but carry on well that brings us to Joni Miller Joni and Heather met around 2005 Joni's in a long-term relationship with actor Jeremy Miller Jeremy is probably best known as Ben Seaver in Growing Pains. The Turners were introduced to Joni and Jeremy by a longtime friend, Scotty Schwartz. Now, listeners may not recognize that name, but most will remember his scene as a kid with his tongue stuck to the flagpole in A Christmas Story. I do remember him. It was stretching all out. Yeah. <laughs> Jeremy met them first, and then sometime later, Joni was introduced to Heather and Andy also. She said she and Heather became fast friends. Joni says that Heather never seemed to be anything but genuine. She seemed unaffected by the connections they had and the fact that Jeremy was an actor. She said that Andy, on the other hand, was so fake, just tripping over himself to be nice. As my mama would say, so sweet sugar wouldn't melt in his mouth, but only because he thought he could get something from them to help himself. He was involved in a business with Scotty that didn't end up being very lucrative, but y'all will have to research that yourselves. It would take too long to give all that info. What we want to talk about is Joni's friendship with Heather and what she personally witnessed and relayed to us. She said at first it appeared that Heather and Andy had a great life and a normal relationship, but eventually Heather would share some not-so-great things with her. Joni remembers that Heather suspected Andy of cheating. She told her he had cheated before they moved in together, and she thought he might be doing it again. She suspected his business trips weren't all business. She said there had even been some domestic violence issues and the police were called early in their relationship. The funny thing is, there doesn't seem to be any record of these instances. Hmm. No police reports at all. I'm sure Heather didn't make it up just to tell Joni, but I guess sometimes things just disappear. Definitely. 
And it wasn't just the fact that he made Heather share a Facebook with him or that he was narcissistic. He seemed to want to control everything in regards to Heather. Johnny gave me an account of a trip to Las Vegas. She said Heather wore heels everywhere. She noticed Heather was limping and seemed to be in pain from her shoes on a particular day. Later, when they changed for the evening, Heather came out in even higher heels. When Joni asked her why she didn't wear some more comfortable shoes, Heather replied, Andy wouldn't let me. Oh, good grief. Joni said she tried later to ask Heather if she was being abused, but Heather changed the subject and brushed it off like always. I'm trying to get you to wear some comfortable shoes. I know. You're quite the opposite. You're always asking me why I'm not wearing some comfortable shoes. But again, it's like, you know, seems to me like a control thing. Like, like she's not a person. She's an object. Right. Joni says that on another occasion, she and Heather wanted to order a dessert at a restaurant. But Andy flat out told Heather no. Joni says she just couldn't keep quiet. And she told him that she hardly got to see Heather at all, and they were going to enjoy dessert together. He was not happy about it, but Heather ate her dessert. That's a shame. you got to put your foot down to eat a piece of pie. I know. That really... Mm. I, I've been treated that way, so I can kind of, you know, relate to that, but definitely not by you. Well, that's good. I mean... Three days before Heather's death, Joni texted Heather. Heather's grandfather had just passed away, and she knew how close they were. She shared a heartfelt text of caring and condolences. She said she received a reply, but it was rather short and odd. Joni just thought maybe that she was grief-stricken or busy, but she says she'll always regret not calling. Joni says she also texted Andy that day, and he gave a short response, which was extremely unusual, as he would generally go on and on when texting with her or Jeremy. I asked Joni how she learned of Heather's death. She said she saw something online and was thinking it was incorrect. As she was trying to find out why someone was saying Heather was dead, the phone rang. It was Scotty. He told her it was true and that Heather had died that morning. Joni was immediately suspicious and told Jeremy to call Andy right away and to put it on speaker. She wanted to hear his voice. She said she could hear someone whispering to him in the background and papers shuffling, and she felt like his words were not his own. But she was extra shocked to hear him speak of going on the upcoming cruise that had already been planned. Now, mind you, this was the day that Heather died. He told her and Jeremy that he was still going on the cruise and that now he would have to take a nanny with him. Uh, so how, how was his kid? Were there, was their kid? The youngest one was seven. Months? Years. Years. Yes. you got to have a nanny to go yes. on it. Wow. That's just, that that whole thing, that's probably, you know, I, I know everybody's entitled to vacation. 
that's the one thing that sat um, wrong with me about the whole thing is to but it was told to Joni that, that they day. were I didn't know that yeah and and that the, while they were on the cruise they had sex under a blanket in the room where the children were children so, yeah because he has three boys oh that's right uh, that were not Heather's he had been married before remember? yeah yeah and apparently yeah he so I don't think the kids were stupid for one, but at best he's cuddling under a blanket with a woman three weeks after this girl's mother and the boy's stepmother has died violently. It's awful. Shows a a lack of respect for sure. At, At minimal. I did one other interview and it was an email interview and it was with someone who was very close to Heather near the end of her life. His name is Robbie Herbert and he was in love with Heather. I tried very hard to get him to do a recorded interview and this was his response. It's hard for me to get my thoughts together on everything because a lot of emotions get involved very quickly. I may be able to do a follow-up with you afterwards at some point if you want where I can go over some additional details or clarify certain things. I just wanted to make sure that what was going on in Heather's last days is told accurately and truthfully. So Michael and I are going to do the interview with him reading Robbie's answers. All right, Robbie, when did you meet Heather? I met Heather when she came to work at the Paulding County Probate Court in 2016. I believe that was around June or July. I had been there for two years prior. What was your job with the court? My job title was a deputy clerk. My responsibilities ranged from issuing gun permits, birth and death certificates, marriage licenses, taking payments for traffic citations, as well as going into court monthly and handling various tasks there. When did you develop feelings for her, and when did you tell her about the feelings, or did she share her feelings first? When Heather first started in the office, it took about a month for us to become good friends. She was closest to me in age. I was only around three months older than she was, and we had similar interests, taste in movies, music, and pop culture. Just the normal things that two people getting to know each other connect on in the beginning. I was the only man in an office of about 13 women, most of whom, excluding a few, were more like sisters to me than anything else. Myself and Heather just connected in a different way, and we related to each other on another level that I just couldn't with anyone else in the office. I thought at the time that she was married, and there was absolutely no intention on my part to be anything other than friends. She was a breath of fresh air and made coming to work enjoyable because I knew I'd have someone that would get my obscure references or sarcastic sense of humor. It went on that way for a little while, getting to know each other a bit more every day. 
making each other laugh, and just enjoying good company. And there was no company better than her. Our friendship became something else in December of 2016. I would say our feelings developed very naturally and gradually until something just clicked with both of us. Neither of us tried to force anything. It just happened. Even as things started to grow into more between us, I still remained standoffish until a conversation we had a few weeks before Christmas where she openly told me that Andy was not her husband and that he had forged a minister's signature on their marriage license. They never had a ceremony, she never took vows, and in her own words, in God's eyes, I am not his wife. This naturally took me by surprise, and as anyone would, I started asking her a lot of questions. So of course I wanted to know what was going on and what the real story was, because she never had anything nice to say about him and frankly couldn't stand the air he breathed. When I asked her why he forged the signature of their marriage license, she told me that she had planned to leave him before they were supposed to get married because he hit her. At the time that happened, they had already applied for their marriage license, so he just took the license, forged a minister's signature on it, turned it into the probate court to be filed, and then trapped her in a legally binding contract. As someone who worked in a probate court, let me tell you that something like this is way too easy to do. Oh, and the minister's name, who was signed on the license, has testified in court that it wasn't him who signed it, but that's yet another felony being swept under the rug. In that same conversation, I asked her how many times he had hit her, and without hesitating, she told me four times. She said, and that was on top of all the other fake, ridiculous things she had to go through on a daily basis. Now, his actions sound crazy, psychotic, and completely evil to me, and they would to any normal person, but those descriptions sum him up perfectly. I couldn't believe what I was hearing, and I had a hard time comprehending not only what she had been put through by him, but also why she had stayed with him so long. She told me he would have three to four month spans where he would be sort of nice, but then a switch would flip and he would be a completely different person. Psychologically and emotionally abusive and on the occasion physically abusive too. On top of that, she stayed as long as she did for her daughter Lexi. She didn't want to make things hard or confusing for her. But as Lexi started getting older, she couldn't keep making more excuses for staying with Andy. Naturally, as someone who had begun to care deeply for her, this whole conversation made me see red. I was furious beyond belief, and I couldn't rationalize anything she had told me. Yet I believed every word because I knew she had come to trust me and I did not take that lightly. She needed to unburden herself, and she needed someone to hear her out. From that point on, any hesitation I had about how I felt for her, or any guilt I may have had for what was developing between us, completely disappeared. She wasn't a married woman. She never took vows, and those feelings were not wrong. 
it opened a door for both of us though I wasn't sure even at that point whether it was a door we were going to walk through but it changed things between us and it was more obvious from then on then I remember I was actually taking the week off for Christmas that year it was something I had put time in for a while back but as the week approached I actually didn't want to take the time off anymore I knew I wouldn't see her for a week and that thought really made me hesitate I told myself to snap out of it at the time because what kind of crazy person doesn't want to be off the week of Christmas anyway on the day I was leaving there was a moment between us at our cars where I was getting ready to leave and she was parked next to me we locked eyes and she smiled at me and I smiled back and we hugged and I told her how much I'd miss her and she told me how much she'd miss me too it wasn't the kind of hug a friend gives another friend it lasted it meant something and I knew it and she knew it I thought about her that entire week and it was really hard thinking about what she might be going through or if she was safe or if she was managing to be happy at all during Christmas it really consumed all my thoughts until I walked back into the office the following week and saw her again after that things moved quickly between us we were much closer with each other and we didn't hold our feelings back we began being much more affectionate Due to the dangers in her current relationship, we only saw each other at work. That was eight hours a day, and we made the most of it however we could and whenever we could. Considering the fact that Andy's mother worked in our office too, and the complexities of the whole situation, it wasn't as if we could just be out in the open with our growing relationship. We said I love you to each other shortly after that, we started realizing we wanted a future together and she started planning her eventual escape from under Andy's boot. She even got a tattoo on her side that said, if you're a bird, I'm a bird. This was due to both of us liking the movie The Notebook and having a conversation about it one day. I couldn't believe that she had done that for me but she told me I want you to know that I'm serious about you I love you and I want us to be together those words and the look in her eyes as she said them is still very vivid to me I was already very serious about her but after that how could I not be a hundred percent plus another hundred percent in with her she was the love of my life and my best friend things kept getting more intense and more serious between us as well as more dramatic as Andy inserted himself in the situation. So did Andy know about you? I was told also that Andy had a gun and had threatened Heather with it. What can you tell me about that? Yes, Andy very much knew about me. He first found out about me because I would text back and forth with Heather and while she would always delete our conversations, he went and had the text pulled by someone, and so he found out that she had been speaking with me. He would take her phone away from her at night as if she were a child, and he monitored all her activity like a prototypical abuser. Anyway, he called me one morning drunk. This was like 7.30 in the morning, mind you. 
tried to browbeat me about how I knew it was wrong to text and flirt with another man's wife and that I better not talk or even look at her anymore. Blah, blah, blah. I told him I knew his history and all that he had done to Heather. And he then said, I don't regret any of it and I'll do what I need to do to protect my family. He also told me that this whole thing between me and Heather was a game that she and he were playing with me and that it wasn't real. He said when she comes home from work, they make fun of me. Now I knew that was a complete lie, but at that point I was already sick of him. So I used some choice words toward him and hung up the phone. When I got to work that morning, I walked down a back hallway in our office and met Heather coming the other way. She had been crying and I immediately pulled her into one of the back rooms to ask her what was going on. She knew he had called me, which became obvious to me when she started apologizing to me about what he said, and I really didn't care about any of that at that point. I just wanted to know if she was okay. According to her, he had been drunk on tequila at 7 a.m., and he was pointing a gun at her, then at himself, while telling her that maybe he should just kill himself and make her rich. I told her that enough was enough with all of this, and she needed to let someone know what was going on. We did work for a judge, after all, so who better to tell? The judge wasn't in the office at the time, but I took her to her office secretary, and the secretary called the courthouse security in so Heather and I could make a statement. Heather seemed to think that would only make things worse. I have more than just suspicions as to why that is now, but I wanted to protect her in any way I could, and we were still keeping our relationship under wraps, so it was complicated to say the least. Heather had grown so used to this kind of crap and she never wanted to put any burden or drama on anyone else, but I took this all very seriously. It appears to me, based on what I've heard, that Andy was having an affair with someone before Heather died. Do you believe that? And if so, did Heather know? Yes, Heather knew that he was seeing and had seen other women. She never gave me any of their names. At that point, she really didn't care anymore. She was disgusted by him and just wanted to get away from him. She couldn't have cared less what he did or what happened to him. Her only concern was for her daughter, Lexi. Has Andy contacted you in any way since Heather's death? No, Andy has not contacted me. What do you think of his parents? I think Andy's parents are just like he is. Fake, false, and complete liars. They've assisted in covering up their son's evils his entire life and they continue to do so with every day that passes where Heather isn't given her justice. Had Heather ever tried to leave him prior to her final attempt? The only time Heather ever told me about trying to leave him was right before he forged the signature of the marriage license, but I only knew her for just under a year, so I'm sure there were a number of escape plans in her mind, believe me. How did you find out about Heather's death? The day before Heather's death was a strange and frustrating one for both of us. 
Because of how limited we were in communicating outside of work, we always wanted to just talk to each other once we got there. So we emailed each other constantly from our desks. Now some people might say that's unprofessional or inappropriate at work, blah, blah, blah. I don't have time for that opinion. We were in love with each other and we were looking for every opportunity to communicate that. And when you found that person and you have these feelings and you've never been so certain about something in your life, it takes over your world and little else matters. You either know that feeling or you don't. And that's all I can say about it. We have been emailing each other for a few months and of course those emails had stacked up. Now there began to be a lot of suspicion in our office about us and myself and Heather had even heard some of the women were spying on us to see if they could catch us together or whatever. Frankly at that point neither Heather or I cared because neither of us were planning on staying at that job much longer. We knew we couldn't with Andy's mother working there and we also knew we'd need a fresh start together. But whether it was due to reports from prying eyes or whether it was Andy's mother or whoever, the judge had our emails from work pulled and we got called into her office. We got browbeat for emailing each other so much we were told we had to resign from our jobs or be fired. It was all so ridiculous and there was a failure to see the real issue there. And when I look back on it, I get extremely pissed off. So here we are, forced to admit our feelings for each other. The funny thing is, I still don't think the people in that office knew just how serious we were about each other even then. They know now that Heather's dead, but I honestly think they thought it was just some fling or flirtation. No, there were already talks of marriage as soon as we were able. So it was as serious as it gets. Anyway, we walked out of work that day thinking we would be fired the next day, but again, we were already planning on leaving, but that pushed up our timetable. Both of us were frustrated about how it all went down, but neither of us were that upset because it was going to happen sooner than later anyway. Heather had already told Andy she was leaving. He knew about us, knew about our feelings. Heather had stopped hiding anything from Andy because she just didn't care anymore. She was done, she was leaving, and there was no getting her back. No more manipulation, no more abuse, no more lies, none of it. She was leaving that weekend to go stay at her father's house. I asked her to go there because I felt it would be the safest place for her. She had mentioned looking into getting an apartment, but I asked her not to do that because I didn't want her there alone under any circumstance. As we were walking outside to our cars that day, she asked me, what do we do now? I told her that this doesn't change anything. Get your things out of that house, go stay with your father, and we'll meet up this weekend to talk about where to go next and what to do. I had written her this five-page letter about everything and given it to her that morning. Due to how chaotic the day had become, she only had a little time to reply to me in a letter which I'll attach. Her words here were not of someone who was going to take their own life the next morning. They're of a woman hopeful for the future, a woman in love, and someone who has something to live for. She told me she loved me 
I told her I loved her and would see her in the morning. She said, okay, baby, that's the last time I ever saw her. I got up the next morning to get ready for work. My boss got the news about Heather early and she called my father and asked him to tell me. I guess she didn't know how to bring herself to break the news to me. My dad had just found out about my relationship with Heather the previous day, so he was hesitant to tell me as well. What parent wants to tell their child that the woman they love is dead, right? My boss had asked my father to tell me not to come into work that morning. I found that very odd and very unsettling. I was supposed to go in have a meeting with my boss to find out whether I was going to be fired, so having my father tell me to stay home seemed highly suspect. I kept telling my dad that he had to tell me what was going on. Finally, he said, son, you need to sit down. Then he said, Heather shot herself. She's dead. I knew immediately what happened. I've never felt pain like that. I did not know it was possible. It still hits me even now from time to time. I think something like that leaves a permanent scar, and certainly in a case like this there's just an open wound and no chance for closure because the truth has been concealed for over two years now. In the complete and utter wash of pain that came over me and the realization that my best friend, my love, my future was all gone. Did you immediately think he killed her? Yes, I knew exactly what had happened to her. There's no mystery as to how she died. She would have never left me, never left her daughter or the son she so badly wanted to reunite with. I looked in her eyes the day before she died. I knew her heart and where her mind was. She was happy. In closing, Rob wanted to say this about Heather. She was special, the most beautiful woman on the outside and even more beautiful on the inside. She was funny, smart, thoughtful, kind, sweet. She had the biggest heart anyone could have, and she was the best person I've ever known. I miss her every day. Rob also sent me a copy of the letter he spoke of that Heather gave to him just before her death, and I will read it now. Heather wrote, To briefly attempt a reply to your letter, I love you. I understand that you're afraid of being hurt, but please don't ever doubt how I feel about you. If I didn't see a future with you, I wouldn't waste your time. In you, I have found a love that I never knew existed. I dream constantly of where life will take us. Robbie, I honestly can't imagine life without you. The thought of you not being here hurts more than anything in the world. I don't mind proving myself to you and earning your trust. Just please always know I love you wholeheartedly and have no reservations about us. I have so much more to say to you, but that part was urgent. So, I love you and I would love to see you over the weekend. Yeah, it definitely doesn't sound like a suicidal person. No, sounds sounds very hopeful. I know she was going through a lot, but, you know, she also had a lot to look forward to. 
So Joni and Jeremy and Robbie and many others have been fighting for justice for Heather since her death. Joni misses Heather and fears for Heather's daughter, Lexi. Lexi has no contact with anyone in Heather's family. Many sources report that Andy keeps his children away from anyone that stands up to him. Anyone that stands up for Heather. Even his own grandfather was not allowed to see the kids because he called Andy and his dad out on some things they did. Heather's Aunt Cindy was like a mother to Heather. She has fought for the right to see Lexi and it was court-ordered for her to have visitation. So far, Andy has not complied with that order. I've also been told that he doesn't comply with court orders regarding his sons with his first wife. He seems to think he is above the law, and so far he has been. Joni says it's strange how evidence, such as pictures and police reports, cannot be located, and how Andy seems to discover anything that is told to the police, even when it's told in confidence. He has harassed and threatened people that try to get the word out about Heather's death, but that only makes them more determined. They are determined to share her story until something is done. So please, share this podcast. We must be Heather's voice. We cannot let him silence us. Heather died in Paulding County, Georgia. I continue to hear that Paulding County has a lot of corruption. If you Google Paulding County, Georgia corruption, you will see several stories. I think that contacting anyone in Paulding will not be of use. So I'm going to give y'all the address to write the Attorney General of Georgia. Let's go to the top. You can write and express your concerns about the handling of the case of Heather Turner, especially all of you that are listening from Paulding and other Georgia counties. Lay out your concerns of county corruption and mishandling of cases. Ask him to take action. Write Attorney General Chris Carr, that's C-A-R-R, 40, Capitol Square, Southwest, Atlanta, Georgia, 30334. Thank you so much for listening. Please share this episode. Getting the word out is crucial to these unsolved cases. Remember that you can listen to all of our episodes on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like us, give us a five-star review. You can also visit our webpage to listen and for pictures and links associated with the episodes. You can also comment on cases and contact us at our email through the website. We love hearing from listeners. Please join us on our Facebook page and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you guys so much for uh, giving us a listen and spread the podcast and talk about the cases. That That's what helped get them solved. And one little share or one little um, conversation could help bring closure to one of these cases that people have been struggling for years thank you so much for your help a southern sleuth is a production of cream dream studios all episodes researched and written by me all music 
written, created, and performed by Michael. That's me.